All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight, we're going to finish up the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, anyway. Not the whole book, but... This Saturday, uh, men's breakfast, and that's coming up, and some other things. Um, I don't know if we've got the teen night rescheduled yet or not, but I'm sure we'll get details as we do, and we'll try to get them out there to you as fast as we can so you know when that new date's going to be. All right, let's pray. We'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight as uh, we had a wonderful time of worship and singing to you and uh, brought our hearts into that place that it needs to be to receive from you. And so we're ready. And so we pray your Holy Spirit would uh, be our teacher and guide tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. This wonderful chapter of faith, we pick up our story in verse 23, the writer going through many of the older saints that have walked before us in anticipation of the Christ. In fact, even mentions it tonight, which is kind of neat to see in the Old Testament. Um, A believer in the Old Testament waiting for the Christ is what I mean. And uh, so we continue with Moses and his life. This is a man whose entire life was of faith. He's just got one of those stories, you know. And uh, they can be a little intimidating sometimes to read a story like Moses. Um, I, I appreciate the successes, walking by faith successfully. Um, the failures that are documented about his life is fine, but um, it's still a little intimidating to read someone who was used so greatly um, from birth by God. And of course, that's what's what we all hope to be used uh, as, as intensely, is that's the right word, um, completely. There isn't a day in Moses' life where God wasn't a part of it in the sense that his eye was very much on him and ready to use him and manipulating the circumstances around him for a plan in God's mind that he was going to use Moses to fulfill. That's what, of course, I want. All of us do. So he spends some time here more than most of the people that he's gone through in chapter 11. Verse 23, by faith, Moses when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. There's a lot there. Uh, The reason his parents were hiding him was because the command was given by Pharaoh to kill all the baby boys when they were born and throw them into the Nile. Uh, Moses being born and was supposed to be thrown into the Nile, mom looked dad looked and said, we can see this is a beautiful child. Now, that doesn't mean what we think it means. Man, he's attractive. He'll be on Vogue, you know, or, or GQ someday. Not what he's talking about. You see, a special child. There's something about him. There's a gift. Well, I don't know a parent that doesn't look at their baby and see that. And I don't think we're meant to think anything more of this. I, the two words that came together in this verse for me, as I was studying, was that they were not afraid, but they hid him. Isn't that interesting? They're not afraid of the Pharaoh's command. If anybody was found to be harboring a child that was supposed to be thrown in the Nile, it was certain death for them as well, for not following the Pharaoh's decree. But they were so unafraid, but they still hid him. They still did what was necessary to make sure he was safe. They weren't weren't, uh, belligerent saying, we're raising this baby no matter what you say, publicly, out loud. They, they took him and hid him away. It reminded me of a story. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. I'll, 
I, I'm just remembering the story, else I would have looked it up and made sure I had all my facts straight. Oh boy, I wish it would come to me. Dear God, help. He was a, a church planter in Russia for Calvary Chapel um, when, before all the churches were shut down by um, our wonderful friend Putin over there. But um, when he would go across the border with the Bibles and would bring a, a new missionary with him that was going to go over also with him, he would light a cigarette. He would turn on the raunchiest rock and roll music he could find and pull up to the checkpoints that way. And of course, they'd get through because, you know, this is just a regular old Russian guy. and They'd let him on through and, and they got through. And of course, the newbie next to him was like, how, oh, you know, you know, just how can you do the cigarette and the raunchy rock? And he goes, I got the Bibles across, you know. That's what we're trying to do here. I didn't smoke the cigarette. I didn't listen to the music. It's not who I am. It's what I did to get through. You know, I like that guy. We're going to get along just fine. Because he wanted to get those Bibles through to them. You know, I think we'd all love the story where angels just floated the bus full of Bibles across the checkpoint. But that's not how it is sometimes. He went right on up and did what he had to do. And did. They hid the baby, defying the decree. Because they were unafraid of what would happen to them. It was worth it to them to hide him as long as they could. When they couldn't hide him anymore, they did end up putting him in the ark, they called it. Now, I wonder where she got that idea. I'm supposed to throw my baby into the tumults of the river. What's going to protect my baby from the river? She knew her word, didn't she? She knew Genesis. I'm going to build a little ark, a little tiny ark. And I'm going to put my baby in this little ark. And she floated it down the river saying, it'll be fine. No rudder, no sail. It's going to go fine. And it did. It landed in the arms of the Pharaoh's daughter. Moses' whole life starts with faith. Now, he didn't have anything to do with that faith. That was his mom and dad's faith. Mom and dad had an older son named Aaron, who was obviously born before the decree. And uh, Miriam was born after Aaron. That's his sister. And then Moses. But Moses was supposed to be thrown in the water. And they said, no, we're not throwing him in the water. And so by faith, they did this. I like that. Obeying Pharaoh isn't always, well, the right thing to do. We know that the two midwives uh, drugged their feet in defiance of Pharaoh's command. The midwives were supposed to kill the baby boys when they came out for the Hebrew women. And they just said, well, the ladies have the babies before we get there. We they just kind of meandered there and took their time knowing full well they weren't going to do that. Lots of ways to defy, but willing to. And this is what we need to learn also. When it comes to God, we, we obey God. We obey God always. And when God in this world, this Babylonian world, comes in conflict with one another, we obey God always, always, always. And so Moses' mom and dad give us a great example of that. Their faith showing us what it looks like to trust God in defiance of the Pharaoh's command. Verse 24, now by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God uh, uh, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming, please underline this, the reproach of Christ, 
greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. See, the Jewish people, Christ isn't Jesus' last name. We all know that, I hope. If you don't, well, you learned something new tonight. That's his title. That's his calling. That's his giftings. That's what he's going to do for us. He's the Christ, the Savior. The nation of Israel's always, the world has always been looking for the Christ, just never knowing his name, Jesus, until he was born. And so all these Old Testament saints died in faith, hoping in, resting in, trusting in the Christ that was promised by God in the garden, the seed of Eve. Eve. And so they're waiting for that. He says, although I could be in the world, although I could stay with Pharaoh, although I've, I've basically won the lottery here, all the privileges of being a, a son of, of a Pharaoh's daughter, I mean a prince of Egypt, he rejects and leaves it all behind, taking on the reproaches that would come from being that outcast, from taking on that heritage. Every one of us had to make that decision when you became a believer in Jesus Christ. Many of us felt the alienation when you left the world behind. Friends, relatives that didn't understand your newfound religion, your newfound uh, brainwashing that took place, whatever they want to, you know, there's lots of terms I'm sure used for it in your life. But you saw the joy of heaven. You saw the eternal life that was promised to you and the, and the beauty of Christ coming into your life and not only fixing it, but securing your eternity was far greater value than whatever they had to offer you whatever you had with them, the world. Moses had the same moment. I could stay here, but I don't want to stay here. I want to be with my people. He was able to recognize that the oppression happening to his people, as strange as it seems, is that's where I need to be. That is righteousness. That is holiness. That humility, that's where God's heart is there, not here. And he chose that. He, he took on those reproaches. What a, what a brave thing. Verse 25, or 26 and 27. Let's do 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him, capital H, seeing God, who is invisible. I don't know if you understand what that means or whether you've maybe done the translation, but the... Uh, God was a bigger fact in Moses' life being invisible than the things he could see. I think that needs to be the case for all of us as we at least remember that. Maybe it is already. I don't want to assume that it's not. But is God a bigger fact for you than what you're seeing going on around you? See, the invisible God to Moses was a fact. What was happening to him around him was temporary, minor, compared to the true The world we live in is dying and decaying and will pass away. None of this stuff will be around. It's all falling apart. We patch it together. You know, every four years we try to patch our nation together. Every six years we try to get some people in. Some every two years we try to get some people in. And there's elections all the time. And we keep trying to patch things together and keep things going forward. Interesting that Sunday with all the broken pipes we We got them all fixed and patched together, but that won't be the only thing that breaks here at our church. (laughs) Nice and warm in here today, isn't it? It's never this warm. We had it at 72 all week long since the pipe burst, you know. So that'll be an interesting bill. (laughs) 
But our furnaces are breaking and they need to be replaced. And our roof needs to be replaced. And the ceiling tiles need to be just always falling apart. And your bodies are all falling apart too. Everybody's half of you guys got fake knees, wrists, arms, whatever. Joints just don't make it. The fact of God in your life, the fact of your eternity is what you should be living for. Always. That's the fact. The fact is we're all going to die. The fact is there's all, all of us have an eternity waiting for us. That's the fact. Moses saw that. By faith, he saw that. He saw the invisible as fact. Verse 28. By faith, very important verse, he kept the uh, Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. That's the 10th plague. Moses himself being the called deliverer of Israel, still subjected himself to the authority of God and applied the blood of the lamb to the doorposts of his own home because he wasn't excluded from having that angel of death coming into his home and killing whoever was behind him. It was that important to him. He kept that. Now, this is interesting because if you go over to Israel... Christ Jesus is the Gentile Savior. The Jews are waiting for their Savior in some circles. That's their belief. Because in their mind, their Savior will be like Moses because the Scriptures tell them so. It's going to be just like Moses. Well, this is a very important verse for them. Because Moses himself knew that he needed to apply the blood. He was doing something greater than himself, greater than the deliverer that he was knowing there's something bigger than that, bigger than him going on here. He applied this blood to his life, knowing that. He puts himself under that authority. It's very similar to Mary's Magnificent. You know, Mary is believed in some circles to be sinless. That's what uh, immaculate conception means. Mary was born without sin. That's not Jesus, but Mary. That's what immaculate conception means. Well, she says in her own Magnificent that she sings in God my Savior. He's saving me. She knew that. She was blessed more than any other woman. Moses had faith. It was unbelievable, right? But both placed themselves under God's authority, knowing that the Christ was coming for both of them, you see. So very important that he says this. Moses submitted himself to this law, to this rule, to this role of placing the blood of this lamb over, recognizing that the Christ is coming, the Christ is coming. Now, knowing that about their Moses, what are they expecting their their Savior to look like if not like Jesus? Because the very thing that stumbled them was the fact that he died on the cross and suffered reproach, where their Messiah won't. When it's very clearly portrayed here in the picture in the 10th plague that the Messiah, the Savior, the blood that would be shed for the people will be the blood of the Lamb sacrificed. Their Messiah was always forecast to suffer, always forecasted to rise from the dead, always forecasted to take the place of the person behind the door, to let the blood applied by the Lamb to be the accepted sacrifice for the people behind the door, the replacement blood. Moses do that. Verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. What's the difference between the two? You know, 
They both had bravery and courage to walk through the walls of water on dry ground, but one had faith and one didn't have faith. One believed in God and trusted God and followed the anointed leader that God had placed for them, Moses being a type of Christ in a sense. Just a type, not not the Christ. They followed. Egyptians had no desire for that Christ, had no desire for that Savior, just thought that they could pass through also, but every one of them was drowned. My faith is my faith. It's only mine. It does not It does not transfer to other people. My faith cannot save my children. My children are all going to hell without their own personal faith in Jesus Christ. None of them can pass through the Red Sea without their faith in God. None of them. None of them will pass from here to heaven without their own personal relationship with Jesus. Most important thing we can instill in our kids is that they cannot ride our coattails to heaven. They can't. They must have their own faith. Otherwise, they'll end up like these Egyptians who thought they could pass through right on the heels of the Israelites, but without faith, it was impossible. They couldn't do it. Verse 30. He goes through these pretty rapid fire. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled after seven days. Something to learn from faith. I want you to go across the Jordan River, Whole nation gets across at flood stages. The river fills in behind them. No way to go back. Now, without a sword drawn, I want you to march around with your horns. And I say that. It's probably more pretty than that, more beautiful, more ceremonial. But it it still wasn't swords. You know, it was a band. (laughs) And I want you to go around silently until I tell you. And then when I tell you to, I want you to blow the horns and all of you yell. Well, for six days, they're walking around these walls of Jericho, this city. Big walls. Not these kind of walls. Probably as thick as our room here kind of walls. And there's all sorts of people that try to explain it away. It was the resonant pounding of the feet of millions of people causing the ground to have seismic. Uh, No. No. Why do we have to explain away miracles? I don't know. But on day three or four, I don't know where I would have stood. I mean, hopefully I'd have been just walking with the gang going, so how, how many days are we doing this, you know? But by faith, I don't know how many days we're doing it, until, you know, because there, there had to be some people that just said, we're doing this till God tells us to stop, you know? Oh, yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. I remember, I remember. We got to be reminded of that stuff sometimes. We're going to walk with Jesus until we die or until he comes home to take us home. When he comes back down here and takes us home, great. But we don't stop walking by faith until that happens. There is no, you know, 2024. There are supposed to be a lot of locusts this year. The 13 and the 17 year locusts all converged this year, by the way. So that sound you hear in July, it's going to be deafening. I don't think that's the apocalypse though. <laughs> But weird things are happening, and we like to say, well, 2024 is it, or 2026. I don't care. I don't care if it's the year 3000 that Jesus comes. Maybe we've all got our times off. We don't stop walking by faith until he tells us to stop. And when the trumpet sounds, then we can all yell, yeah, we're out of here, you know. Jericho, seven days. 
Don't put timelines on God. Just a, a bit of wisdom for you. Don't give him deadlines. You got to do it by now. Got to do it by here. Got to do it by then or else, or else, or else, or else. He doesn't play that. He doesn't do that. We walk until he tells us to not walk anymore, until he takes us home, until he changes, changes direction or whatever he wants to do, or until he accomplishes what he said he was going to do. Six days, seven days, makes no difference. Verse 31, by faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Now Rahab was a prostitute inside of this city, Jericho. And before they started marching around Jericho, they sent out two spies to go check it out to see what kind of problems they were going to have. Well, two of these spies walked into Jericho, did pretty good, but she recognized them. And so if she recognized them, somebody else was going to recognize them. And they did. She bring, get in here. You guys are nuts. Now she's been watching this whole thing. Her house is built into the wall. That's why we know the walls were super thick. The, the houses were the walls. And so it's pretty solid. And her window looks out. She's probably been watching these billion people, not billion, but these people over there going, they're coming. You know, you can see the dust. Jericho's not that far from the river. And so given that, you got a million plus people over there on this side of the river kind of mulling around over there and you see this pillar of fire and smoke and all, you know, you just kind of watching, you know. Well, she develops faith. Somehow, some way, she develops faith in this God. I mean, we heard about the Red Sea and the entire drowning of the Egyptian army back here at Jericho. It was a little terrifying for us. She's the prostitute listening to all the guys going, I don't know how we're going to survive this. You know, what if they come here? And she's listening going, their God is bigger than our God. She knew. She started developing a faith just by the rumors, just by the stories that were happening you have no idea who's getting saved from your story. No idea who's watching you. Do you think any one of those millions of people on the other side of the Jordan thought, I wonder if there's a prostitute watching us from a window, you know? Of course not. They're all scared to death too, going, so we're just bringing horns. You know, they're just talking about what they got to do. Just horns? And she develops this faith by watching these people because she can obviously see the hand of God upon their life. They're scared to death about the next move. Now they've witnessed 10 plagues. They've witnessed an entire army drowning. They've witnessed 40 years in the desert and all their parents dying. They've witnessed all of that. They've seen God's hand. They've seen all the quail coming in. They've seen water come out of a rock. They've seen all these wonderful stories. Their shoes never wore out for 40 years. That's a miracle, you know? I wonder who's the first guy to figure that out after like 20 years going, you know, I haven't had to resole, you know. Wow. She's watching and she develops faith. So when these two spies come in, she says, I'm on your team. That's the short version of the story. I'm on your team. Get in here. And she hides them, lets them out the window, sends them on their way. They find out about it. Hey, where'd you put those two guys that came in? She goes, they went, they went over there. They didn't. They went over there. So she lied. And there are Christians that just argue about that? Should she have lied? Should she have told an untruth? Remember we talked about untruths and things like that. You know what? Here's what God saw. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. 
That's what's written about Rahab's story. That's what God saw. That's what God cares about. If we care about anything else, he's not. We're wasting our time. Your story, I know you know your story like I know I know my story, and it's a mess. It's just a stupid mess is what it is. I've got lots of great stories about how I did great with God. And I've got lots of great stories that I've never told you about where I did not do great with God. But when God writes these things down, and make no mistake about it, this is not a comprehensive book, verse, chapter 11 of these things. Okay, Micah has a full book on these things. He talks about the books written about all the things that anybody ever did by faith. There is a complete record of every one of you and, and my life on all the times we walked by faith, it's written down for us. He writes these things down. How exciting is that? There's the Lamb's book of life, of course, but there's these other books where it says, and then they met together. It was documented that you came tonight. They sang songs to me, you know, Wednesday, January, what's the date? 17th, you know. Mike and Debbie Hill showed up, even though it was sore and snowy and, and rainy, you know, or, you know, whatever. They came. It's written down. So when you read your story to yourself, you're thinking, he forgot some parts. Thank goodness, right? By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe. Now, why does he mention that? I always wonder about that. I mean, why bring up harlot? How about just the woman Rahab? You know, why is that part brought up? I think it's important for us to know the prostitute did really well by walking by faith. You wouldn't think she would. Prostitutes? I mean, they kind of barely get into heaven. No, no, no. She's, she's in the book. Um, oh, she's the only woman in the book, by the way, in chapter 11. The prostitute made it equal to Moses. I mean, I think that's good. I think that's important. Verse 32. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Now he's going to go through these. I got to take time. We've got time. Okay. He goes to Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, also David, Samuel, the prophets. And then, you know, it goes on. I'm like, no, we got to take some time here. Well, his point is, and let's not miss it because I'm going to get into the trees here. The forest here is, look at all these saints that walk by faith and you know the rough parts of their life and the good... This book, although starts off with some major players, it starts off with paragraphs until finally we get to the end of this chapter and it's just a quick blurb. It's meant to then, and then all your names are there too. Walking by faith, just like all these people walk by faith. Whoever's reading this book of Hebrews, your names are being written down too. It continues, it never ends. All these people walking by faith. Gideon, we've talked about Gideon a little bit. Let me get to my notes on Gideon. Gideon is in Judges 6. We won't turn there. We don't have that much time. Gideon's story was the story of the nation of Israel being oppressed by the Midianites at the time. And Gideon was called and led 300 valiant men with trumpets, horns, you know, the, the jar with the, with the torch hidden inside of it. And then at the right time, they broke the jar, exposed the torch, you know, blew their trumpets, and, and the entire Midianite army just wiped out. You know, wow, by faith. 
He's called a great man, a great warrior for God, by God, even before he does it. Look at this great man, you know, hiding and trying to get some grain done before the Midianites come and steal it. He's found. He's found in a place of humility. He's found in a place of being defeated. He's, God finds him. But here's what he's not doing. You know, what he is, what, what he's not doing is sitting back at home saying, I don't know why we're threshing grain for him anyway. They're just going to steal it from us. He's thinking, no, I'm going to keep some of this. I'm going to hide as much as I can. We'll keep as much as we can, but I'm not. St-. There was hope. There was desire. There was, I'm going to do something about this. I'm not sitting around, you know, instead of saying, well, whatever will be, will be, you know, this is just God's hand upon our lives and we must let it happen to us. No, I'm going to thresh some grain. You know, that's what I'm looking for. God says, you, I want you to, to be used. He says, the next one is Barak. Hmm. Okay, we've got a different group. We've got all sorts of groups, different people here. Okay, some of you know, know the Bible. Some of you don't know the Bible very well. It's wonderful that you're here. We're all learning. We're all getting there, right? Who can tell me what you know? What's the first story that comes to mind about Barak for those of you who know the Bible? Just shout it out. Why? Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's how, that's how he's portrayed. Barak, uh, it's in Judges. Uh, Deborah is the judge at the time. She's a prophetess. Okay, she was judging Israel at the time. And God says, Deborah, I want you to go talk to Barak and tell him, I want him to lead the nation of Israel against, da, da, da. I don't want to go, you know. I'm afraid, I'm scared. He had lots of thoughts about the thing. And I'll go if, I'll go if you go with me, Deborah. That's the kind of guy he was. And she says, if I go, it's going to be said that a woman did this. It needs to be said that you did this. That's the short version. I'm not going unless you go. She goes, okay, I'll go. And she went, you know, reluctantly, but she went. When we talk about it, now he doesn't go into great detail. He just says Gideon and Barak puts them in the same category, you know. Cowardly or not, I agree. He did answer the call finally. He did finally go and do what he was supposed to do. He he didn't do it to the magnitude that God wanted to do it. He didn't do it how it could have been done, but neither did Moses. Remember Moses' argument with God? I can't talk. I'm not a good talker. Bible says you are. Bible says before you left your father's house in Egypt, before you left, that you were just great orator. You were just fluid. What happened? You know, do you have a sunstroke or something or what? I don't, he didn't want to go, but he went. And Barak went. Are you reluctant at times? When God calls you out to do something by faith, and you're like, and you can find all sorts of reasons to not do it. And even that right there makes you feel like you failed. Like, oh, I should have been jumping for joy when I heard the news that God wanted to use me. I don't feel that anymore. Maybe he can't use me. Or like he's moved on to somebody else. He doesn't. He, he picked you. He wants to use you. He wants to pull you out. He wants you to get past it. And the, the, the invitation is continual. Come on, I want you to walk with me. I want you to do this. He knows you're dust. He knows I'm dust. 
But he loves us and doesn't want to say, you missed it. You missed the opportunity. Bob's going to get it now instead of you, you know. That can happen. We do have times in the Bible where someone gets unchosen. Saul. Saul was chosen by God and he got a big head about it. And he didn't want to go either. He hid in the luggage. Remember his story? He was hiding in the, in the boxes and stuff. And all the people said, where's our king? Oh, he's hiding over there. I saw his head stick up. They had to go get him and bring him out to coronate him, make him king. Scared to death of the job. I don't blame him, but who's the next person on the list? Samson? Samson. Samson? I mean, I like his coloring pages. They're really cool. Whether he's pulling down the pillars, you know, with those huge muscles, looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger with, with a haircut. Well, by the time he pulls them down, he doesn't have the haircut anymore. But I don't think he was that big. I think Samson was a little guy. That's why everybody kept asking, where's your strength come from? It's not from the gym, you know. It doesn't, you don't look like someone who can do this. So he's a little guy. He's not as big. So the coloring pages, you know, we need to put like Bill Gates on there or something. Make him, no offense, Bill, if you're watching. I'm sure he is. He's always watching. <laughs> oh, my phone heard that, didn't it? Oh, great. I got them on me. <laughs> Samson, can I give you a, you know, and he it doesn't mention this, but Samson's, uh, he's self-centered, right? He's rebellious against his parents and anything that really has to do anything with God. He's a rebellious guy. He was violent, which comes in handy if you're going to be a judge. I understand that, but not the kind of violence that like David had. It was vengeful violence. If they wronged him, then he took some Philistines out, you know. But up until then, his first is what Delilah. Hey, you want you know? She's a Philistine. She's a little gal, you know. Hey, you know, he's he doesn't care about the things of God. He doesn't care that they're the enemies of God. He doesn't care that he's supposed to protect the nation of Israel from them. He's he, he's mad because they wronged him, and it worked, and God used it. Even in the end. After they had plucked out his eye, gave him a haircut, eyes in this haircut, and he's, and he's getting stronger by the day, but blind, and has a little kid leading around. His hair grows back and gets his strength back. And he says, please let me have vengeance upon my enemies, and pulls down the pillars so that all the Philistines get crushed by this giant rock thing that they're standing on top of. I don't know what that looked like, what that was all about. But it's from Vengeance. bring this up because God can use a lot of different people with a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different heart issues. A lot of people that we don't think should be chosen. Can you imagine if any of these guys had (laughs) passed their search committee was looking and said, so Samson, tell me about yourself. (laughs) You know, he'd never get hired. Probably rightly so. Barak wouldn't get hired either. He, he, where was the meeting? You know, he, he didn't even know where to go. Jephthah. Okay, Bible scholars, who knows Jephthah? And what was the, what's the thing that sticks out with you about Jephthah? That's it. Sacrificed his daughter is what he says. That's what we know about Jephthah. Do you know his background? Do you remember his background? you know who his mom was? No. That good job, buddy. Prostitute. Excellent. Excellent. 
That's hard to remember. I didn't remember that when I was studying for tonight. I'm like, sacrificed his daughter. That's what you remember. Here's the deal. He's this great judge that God uses and does this wonderful thing. And he's so excited that God's using him. He says, God, whatever the first thing that comes out of my house, that's what I'll sacrifice to you. Whatever I see when I come back from this wonderful thing. And it's his daughter that comes out of the house. His sweet, beautiful daughter comes and gives daddy a hug. Welcome back. And he's like, no, what have you done to me? Yeah, as far as we know, he follows through. That's the story we remember. You know his background, though? Like he was saying? This little kid's dad, what's his dad's name? Gilead? Gilead's his name from the, from the land of Gilead. It's Mizpah, if you don't know. Mizpah is the place, that's the location where Jacob and, and, uh, and Laban got together. They ran into each other again after the big argument and everything about who did what and where. And they set up a pillar there and says, you don't come on this side and I won't come on this side. May God watch you from attacking me. And they parted ways. Well, this is where this guy lives, right? And this guy's married. And this guy has a kid by a prostitute. And this kid's name is Jephthah. That's a hard place to start. He then has his mom or his pseudo mom, the actual wife of Gilead, has three more boys. Those three boys say, get out of here, Jephthah. You're not getting part of this inheritance and kick him out. It's not his fault. How did he earn this? Fine. So he goes off and he becomes this raider. And gets a bunch of guys who just kind of cling to him, a lot like David, but they never really become mighty men of valor. They're just kind of the original crazy mercenary kind of guys. They cling to this Jephthah, and they go raiding on raiding parties. I mean, they turn into pirates of the sand, you know, kind of thing. And God says, hey, I want to use you. Actually tells the people, and they say, hey, we need you to come and help us. We need you to come and take out these enemies of ours. Will you come? He goes, oh, now you want me to be a part of the gang, a part of the family, a part of the community after you kicked me out, you know, because I'm the toughest, baddest guy around here, you know. So he goes back and forth with them. He says, if I win, I'm going to be your leader, right? You know, oh, yeah, I guess, you know, sure, it's better than dying. And so he's excited. This rough top tattoos up his neck. Just kidding. I don't know if he did or not, but you know the kind of person who's had a horrible, horrible childhood, a horrible life, have decided that this is their lot in life. I'm going to be a raider. We've got people like that in our lives all over the place. We run into them all day long in Maryville and all these small towns. You have no idea where they came from. You have no idea what they went through. And God says, I want to use you. He's so excited to be used of God, to be chosen by God. Are you kidding me? The neck tattoo guy, the raider, the sand pirate that everybody hates and everybody makes fun of, you're going to use me? He gets so excited, he finally says that, I'll kill, that now you know why he makes the vow. Because without this background, you don't understand why he says, I'm going to kill anything that comes to my, whatever it is, God, you choose, whatever comes out of my house, that's the first thing I'm going to offer to you is a sacrifice. Because he's so happy that God's using his life. Now, God never asked him to do that. I don't want you to do that. God is silent through that whole thing. He never holds him to that promise. He never says, don't forget you said you're going to kill your daughter. None of that. None of it. Jephthah. What did God see? 
A man of faith. It's a hard story. You got a hard life. You got a hard background. You know people with hard lives and hard backgrounds. They can be in chapter 11 easily. Easily. Not one of them can be. There isn't a person alive that can be, that has to be excluded from 11. If they come to faith and they walk by faith, they can be used by God. Every single person. Wonderful. David. That's our next one. David. Just mentions David briefly, but David, he was a polygamist. He was an adulterer and he was a murderer. He was a great king and a great shepherd, and we like all the good stories. There's a, we don't have coloring pages for those other things I just mentioned at all. But that's who he was. That's who he became. Some of these guys started off rough like Jephthah, and then you went to David who started off great and ended up like Jephthah basically at the end. And then kind of came back to the Lord through repentance and through forgiveness. Samuel, Samuel the little prophet kid. I love that story. That's probably my favorite. He's got to be the sweetest, innocent. I like, he's one of those great characters, you know. His mom, Hannah, right? Is that right? Hannah. Never, never, never has a baby and always wants a baby. And, and her husband does his best. And the funny story. He just says, aren't I good enough than five sons or three sons to you or whatever, a dozen sons? I mean, no, you're not, is what she wants. <laughs> I want a baby, you know. And so she gets a baby. And she dedicates him to the Lord, you know, gives him to the Lord. And when he's of age, she actually drops him off to Eli the priest and says, I'm giving him to the Lord. He's going to serve in the house of the Lord. And, he, and she'd go away and only see him once a year. And she'd go all, all year long, making a little ephod for him, you know. Well, he's this big now. He'll probably be, I bet he grows four inches. I wonder how many times the coat was too big for him, right? Probably every time because she wanted him to grow into it throughout the year. But she'd go see him every year and give him a new you know, coat and everything and a new coat. And that was it. She totally dedicated. And he grows up serving the Lord, hearing from God better than Eli. Wonderful story about Samuel. And the prophets. That's a pretty broad stroke. <laughs> He takes the time to write all these big paragraphs about all these people. And then, oh, then there's Isaiah and Jeremiah and then all those great guys, you know. He wants the reader to know, you know, you're one of those people. You're one of those people. Everyone in this room is one of those people. We can all walk by faith. The Bible's being done written, so <laughs> you won't make any of these chapters, but there is a book being written about every single one of you in your walk with God. Every bit of it. And all the faith passages will be there. Every one of them. It's exciting. Every day. Make a new entry. The prophets. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Make note of that. Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women receive their dead raised to life again. Our faith will help us walk and do great things for God like all these things were mentioned. But, he switches gears here. Not only does our faith make us available to be used greatly by God for great stories of faith to be written about us, it also says others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection 
Still others had trial of mockings, scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. I don't know why God chooses some get delivered from the sword or slain by the sword. But either one of those two things can be an act of faith on the person's part. I think the most, uh, the moment that sticks in my mind the most, we talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and them being tossed into the furnace, right? But what they say beforehand, it made no difference to them whether they died or lived. We will serve God no, no matter what happens here. He can choose to deliver us or he can choose to let us smoke. Either way, we stick with God. That's faith. See, every one of these people, when they throw themselves in front of the lion, when they throw themselves in front of Goliath, when they do these things in the lion's den and all these furnace situations, none of them knows how it's going to turn out. They just by faith get in that situation. If God wants to kill me, great. May it be a wonderful story and may it bring glory to God. If God wants to save me, great. May it bring glory to God. Either way, either way. halfway through 37, they wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. You got David wearing wearing, uh, king's garb, and you got people like John the Baptist wearing camel's hair, of whom the world is not worthy. (laughs) They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. That's where they lived. They were the homeless. They were the They were the ones chosen by God to be that kind of person, you know, and the world wasn't worthy of them. Here's how we wrap it up tonight. And all these, everybody I've mentioned, he says, having obtained a good testimony through faith, whether that was through torture or whether that was through deliverance, did not receive the promise. None of them. They all died in faith, never seeing until after death. God having provided something far better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What's he mean? It's a funny way to word it. He's talking about the resurrections. There's two. There's two resurrections. The first resurrection are all the believers who walk by faith, hopefully everybody in this room, and if not, you need to be of faith tonight. Don't leave here without Christ. That's the first resurrection. And that happened all the way up until... Revelation chapter 20, which hasn't happened yet, but that's the great white throne judgment, verse 11. That's the first resurrection. It's not like one big thing. It's all of them. The second resurrection is right there at the great white throne judgment. Everybody that died without faith or was living without faith are brought up to the great white throne judgment and are judged according to the books. That's the better. Hopefully we've all chosen the better. And maybe this week was not a great walk of faith for you. Maybe it was a crisis of faith for you. (laughs) You're in good company. I hope we made that abundantly clear tonight. Because this, from tomorrow on, doesn't have to be a crisis of faith anymore. It can be a, yes, God, I'm going to do exactly what you want me to do. I'm going to step out by faith. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to trust you. I'm sorry, but I know that you're not writing all that other stuff down. You're writing what I do now with you. And I want to walk with you now. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ tonight, and you've never walked by faith before, that's wonderful. You can put that all in the rearview mirror, and your chapter, your first chapter, can start tonight. 
The first entry into any of our books was this, and they believed on Jesus Christ by faith. It's the first entry. And you get lots more after that. Now, that's the only one that matters, by the way. If there's nothing else written, heaven, heaven, heaven is secured and locked for you. I just want a lot of entries because I want a thick book. I guess I'm prideful that way. Pray with me tonight if you haven't received Christ. Jesus, I have not walked by faith, and I have not lived for you. I've lived for myself, and I know that I've been at odds with you. That ends tonight. Tonight I realize that you died on the cross for all of my sins, for my entire life of walking after my flesh, after what I wanted, after my dictates of my own heart. And I want to change all that. I want to ask for forgiveness for my sins. I want to receive the forgiveness you have for me, for all of my sins. I want to apply, like Moses did, the blood of Jesus Christ to the doorpost of my heart and trust that his death on the cross was sufficient for the forgiveness of my sins. And by faith, I believe that. I won't see that till I'm with you. By faith, I believe that. I know that. It's the biggest fact in the room that you, God, died on the cross for my sins. You made the way for me, and I accept that way tonight. Now, Lord, help me to live for you. The first entry being in the books now. I've I'm written in the Lamb's book of life. I've trusted in you for salvation. I've received the forgiveness of my sins. But from here on out, God, I want to walk by faith. Many, many times, I want many entries about me walking by faith, listening to your Holy Spirit, saying, this is the way, walking it, answering those calls that you have on my life, ministering to the people you bring into my life, being your ambassador, your friend, your advocate. I can tell everybody about you until the day I die. And I will walk by faith till the day I die or till you take me home, God. Lord, thank you for these folks tonight. Thank you for the new entry in our book. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. If you need a Bible, we've got free ones. Grab one. Otherwise, have a great rest of the week.